You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Yonder, a wonderful development. It has all you'd need and all you'd want. Number nine. Number nine is not a starter home. This house is forever. Leave for a boy. Do you have children? No. It's not exactly what we're looking for. That guy was so strange. Yeah. Wait. No, no, I don't think this is the right way. Yeah, this is the way we came in. Number nine again. Did we just do some kind of loop? How if we just... Want me to drive? Such a joke. Because I think this is not possible. We can't make turns like this over and over. We have gone this way, Tom. Oh, my God. What's happening? Maybe they'll let us go. What if they don't come? What are we supposed to do? Should we just sit here and wait to die? Welcome once again to Geek Fest France. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we have two movie reviews to go over with you. Two very odd films, not the type of films that are exactly blockbusters, maybe a little hard to find, I would say, too. One of them is called Vivarium, the other one is called Color Out of Space. A Vivarium came to me in an unusual manner, which I'll, I'll talk about in a few in a few minutes. And Color Out of Space was one of these other films that, because I saw the film Mandy, it kind of led me in this direction. That's all I'm going to give you for now. These are some crazy, crazy films. So why don't we just get started with Vivarium and Color Out of Space. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you do it? 
Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That's spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. Every now and then, on my Facebook feed, I will get one of those headlines that say, so-and-so absolutely loved this movie, and -and so-and-so is, let's say, somebody that I admire. This particular so-and-so was Stephen King. I saw this little blurb about how he recently watched a movie called Bivarium, and that he really enjoyed it and liked it. So, again, you know, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and every time I hear something like that, I'm like, okay, let's take a look. Whenever whenever you see, uh, you know, here's what Stephen King is currently watching on a streaming service or something like that, you know, I can't help it. I'm, I'm, I'm such a fanboy for, for Stephen King that, you know, I'll give it a shot. So, I first started... <laughs> digging around and I heard it was on Hulu but then I started looking to see if I could download it somewhere and I couldn't find it and then all of a sudden it's like wait a minute over here it says it's on Prime it's on Prime so called it up and watched it but before that I watched the trailer and the trailer really 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 intrigued me it also had a very high Rotten Tomato score now we're at a time right now where And it's funny because I was pointing this out to somebody. Because there's no movies in the movie theater, there's no new movies. For the last, God, maybe four months, there haven't been any new movies since movie theater started shutting down. That it's created this gap where people obviously are watching more stuff at home. But I've also noticed now that at stores where you would see a latest DVD Blu-ray release of something that was just out a couple months ago, that's not happening either. So it's incredible how everything is being affected by this gap of entertainment, you know, formal movie theater entertainment. I was looking at Walmart at the rack of new DVDs, and there's just like nothing. Everything looks like something out of a streaming service, you know, C-level movies. There's just nothing new out there. It's just junky old stuff. So this is apparently a movie that was released in 2019, and it had a pretty short uh, shelf life, if you will, in, in the movie theaters. It's a foreign film. I think it was shot in Ireland and Belgium, and it takes place in a European country, probably one of those two countries, let's say. And it stars Imogen Poots, which I'm sure I just butchered that name. She's the female lead. And Jesse Eisenberg, who we probably all know from The Social Network, Justice League. You know, he's done a bazillion, you know, American films that he would be more known to us than the rest of the cast. But as I'm watching this movie, just like if you guys remember, there's this actor that looks a lot like Tom Hardy, and I always refer to him as fake Tom Hardy. He's a great actor. I love him. Is it green? Something green. What's his name? Fake Tom Hardy. Okay, I can't remember his name. I'm going to Google fake Tom Hardy. Fake Tom Hardy. And let's see what comes up. And there's his picture right there. There's the picture of fake Tom Hardy. Logan Marshall Green. I, I, I can't make this. You just cannot make this stuff up. He's a great actor. But anyway... 
for this particular movie we're talking about today, the lead actress, uh, I, every time I saw her, and as you get further and further into the story, to me, she looked a lot like Scarlett Johansson. So she will now be known as fake Scarlett Johansson. She's a very good actress, gorgeous, but she looks a lot like <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. And Eisenberg's character, uh, again, he's the father. He plays, uh, let's see, he plays Tom. But to me, he's always going to be Mark Zuckerberg. So fake Scarlett Johansson and Mark Zuckerberg are the leads of this film as far as I'm concerned. So you have this young couple. The movie opens in a very weird way. They show you this little bird that kind of is in a nest. And as the little bird is growing, it looks really disgusting. Like one of those disgusting, you know what? birds look like when they're born. They're really gross looking, very reptilian. And they show you how this bird pushes another little bird out of the nest. He, he pushes him out. And I remember hearing about this in the past, about how some birds push their brothers or sisters because they want to be the only one in the nest. And plop, the other bird just plops down to the ground, and now you have only one bird left in the nest. And the the mother bird comes, and she starts to feed this bird. And then you get a shot of later, as that bird is growing, the bird looks completely different than the mother bird. Plus, the bird is a lot bigger than the mother bird. And... To me, it was kind of like, okay, I, I I think I know the message that they're trying to give us here about how difficult life is where, and how cruel life is where, you know, survival of the fittest, more or less, where the birds turn on each other or people turn on each other for survival. And then the mothering instinct continues to feed and love that other individual, no matter how bad or weird things get. But... Later on, when I started to do a little research, out of all places on Wikipedia, they talk about how the film opens with a short clip showing the parasitic life cycle of cuckoos. And I, I again, and I never, if they told us this in the movie, I complete, it completely kind of blew by me, but I never realized this is how it worked and, and that this is what they were referring to. The life cycle of cuckoos who lay their eggs in nests of other birds. Oh my God, I never heard of that. Once hatched, the cuckoo pushes the mother bird's young out of the nest and then tended to by the surrogate mother. So, oh my God, this is a bird that throws out the other birds. <laughs> and the mother just kind of latches on to this leftover extraneous bird. By the end of the clip, the cuckoo is disturbingly larger than the mother bird, greedily eating all she has to offer. That's what you see. So I get that now. I didn't get that at the beginning. Uh, but I did get enough of the message to get a, a general feel of what was going on. So you have this young couple. They're childless. They're, 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 they're young. He's a carpenter, handyman, gardener. You know, he does like odd jobs like that. And she works at a school. So they go to a real estate agency to look for a place to live. They want to buy a house. And as soon as they walk into this location, you can tell something's odd. It's very odd how things are laid out in the in the store. Everything is very geometrical and precise. And you look at these model homes that they have on display, these smaller, ver you know, like toy version models. 
And you're looking at it, and I'm like, these old things look exactly the same. There seems to be no variation whatsoever on these homes. And as they're in there, they're already a little freaked out. The real estate agent is a very weird, quirky acting individual, and he just... There's a fine line between comedy and weird and creepy. And within that scene, you get all of that from this individual. He also seems to be, I don't know, kind of like studying them, observing them, and even mimicking some of their motions or words. So, the Mark Zuckerberg character. <laughs> so, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he's he's already creeped out. And he's like, you know, he, you could tell. He's like, let's get the hell out of here. This is not where. But she's being more polite about it. And um, they somehow agree to follow the guy to the homes to take a look at, just to take a look at it. And I think he's doing it as a goof. It's like, oh, this is going to make kind of like a, this is going to make a great story to tell our friends about what a weird situation this was. So they go to this home, you know, they follow his car and in his car, because he just came from work, he has his work gear with him. He's got a ladder on top of his car and his tools are in the back. So they follow him home and they look drive through the town and yeah the town this this community this this up and coming community that they've been told is is about to explode in terms of everybody wants to live here and there're only a few homes left and whatever they drive through and yeah they still kind of all these homes look exactly the same they're all painted green they all have the same design there seems to be a ton of them but there doesn't seem to be anybody living there you know they don't see people walking around or anything so they get the tour of the house the guy is still acting creepy and weird and asking strange questions and at one point they they go look at the backyard okay here's a backyard a little small little tiny backyard very european looking again you get that european feel but you know a, a, a development like that could be anywhere so they're in the backyard, and then they notice the guy's not there. The guy walked away, so they, they go back to the main room. The guy's not in the main room. They go back to the front. He's not there. They go to the front of the house. The guy's gone. So they're like, oh, he's gone. Okay. I guess that was, you know, really weird, just like everything else up to that moment. Very weird. So they get in their car, and they drive away, and they keep driving and keep driving, and they cannot find their way out of that area. Uh, one thing I noticed that they never bring up, I think, is that the streets have no names. There's no street names anywhere. And they seem to keep always running into that same house that they initially went into, which was house number nine. So they spend the entire afternoon just going in circles and losing their patience and losing their <laughs> minds in a way because they can't find their way out. So at that moment, you know, they also cannot get cell service from their phone. So they decide, all right, let's just sleep in the house for one night and just kind of relax and rest a little bit because the car also runs out of gas from them driving around trying to find a way out of there. So the next morning, uh, he takes the ladder out of the car, climbs to the top of the roof to be able to see if he can find where the hell is the exit because they, you know, they tried walking in the same direction and they can't find it. And... He's looking around from the roof of the house, and he cannot see an exit anywhere. He sees just more houses in every single direction. So, at this moment, you kind of realize, okay, I think I know where we're at right now. This is kind of bizarre. They're in a bizarre, crazy situation. So, at one moment, all of a sudden, a box gets delivered. They don't know how it gets there. It just shows up in the front of the house with food. Okay, so now they have at least something to eat. And... You can tell that this is wearing on them. Days are starting to pass, and they're getting frustrated and frustrated. 
And he decides to burn the house down because he figures, you know what? We burn the house down. The fire department gets here. They will come and get us. He burns the house down and they basically fall asleep watching the house, sing, the house burn while they're you know, sitting outside in the curb. They wake up the next morning and guess what? The house is completely back to normal again. So it's like, oh crap, this is really bad because now you are in a really crazy situation. But it gets weirder. Now they get another box delivered and the box has a little baby inside and a little sign that says, raise the child and be released. Okay. So now we get a lot of stuff happening as this kid is being raised by them. Like you said, time is passing by. Days are passing by. The boy, who's a little child, seems to be aging faster than a normal child. And he also seems to be learning from them in a bizarre, bizarre manner where he mimics their voices, he mimics their actions, he has the strangest, bizarre actions. He will repeat their words, like word by word, in their voice. A lot of this is obviously dubbed for filmmaking purposes, but I don't think you ever really get to hear much of this kid or this actor's real voice because he's always doing one of their voices. It's really strange. There's a sequence of scenes where whenever he's hungry, I think, he screams his head off completely. And it's like one minute this film is funny, like ridiculously funny of how weird it is. And the next minute is like frightening. I, 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 you just cannot wrap your mind around this story. He is completely attached to them. He will not leave them alone at any point. He, you know, they have to practically get into arguments and tantrums with them, with the kid, in order for them to be able to even go to bed, you know, and sleep because the kid demands so much attention. There's a TV in the house, and the kid watches it. But when you turn the TV on, all you get is these weird lights and and sounds and and um, geometrical patterns and weird shapes. And he seems to be like the that seems to be like the only thing that distracts him for for a certain amount of time. As this is going on, they're falling apart. They are psychologically losing their wits. They are starting to get on each other's nerves. The kid gets on everybody's nerves. Uh, They're just just basically losing it. At one point, the father, Mark Zuckerberg, drops a cigarette on the grass, and the grass opens up to reveal dirt. And he starts digging, because, again, he's a handyman and gardener and stuff like that. So he starts to dig, and now for a very long period of time, he begins to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig, because the dirt also is very different. It's very clayish, uh, very yellowish too, very different color and substance. So this becomes like his thing to do now, just to continue to dig and dig. He's trying. It's almost like he's trying to dig his way out of this place. And he starts to hear noises coming from the bottom of this hole. At this stage, the father is more likely to want to get the hell out of there uh, to the point where he locks the kid in the car and hopes he kind of either suffocates or dies in there and then they let him out again because the mother is more mother you know fake scarlett johansson is a little more motherly she can't help her motherly instincts and she's trying to figure out what's going on here in a different manner she tries to 
dig deeper into his mind to see what he's thinking about, what he's dreaming about. You know, all these weird things. And he, I think he even says he doesn't dream. The boy goes on these walks every now and then. And one day he returns with a book. And the book has all this bizarre language written in it and these bizarre shapes, which are a little reminiscent of what was on the TV. And she tries to to, to kind of get him to tell her where he got the book. Did he meet someone else who gave her the book? And in the process, he tries to mimic whoever gave him this book. And he lays out this bizarre screeching scream and his throat you see like these two huge air sacs inflate around his throat of him mimicking whatever the hell it is that gave him <laughs> the book another psychotic creep you know whenever you thought okay this is as crazy as this gets this now gets a little crazier you know it's this, that's how it is we jump forward I, I don't know a couple of weeks might have passed there they look even worse than before. They're tired, worn. They can't, you know, they're, they're barely talking to each other. The boy now is a young man. He's probably, I don't know, in his late teens, early 20s. Because remember, he's aging a lot faster than they are. The boy seems to be aging faster than a normal person ages. And fake Scarlett Johansson tries to follow him to see where is it that he goes. Because he goes on these walks still and comes back. And she can never seem to to find exactly where he goes. He can't keep up with him. While this is happening, Mark Zuckerberg keeps digging and digging and digging. And finally, he gets to a point where he finds what appears to be either a dead body or, or a bag with a body inside or something like that in the, in the very, very bottom of this hole. And he is also seems to be very sick because he's, he's been sleeping outdoors. He's, he's mentally and he's just fallen apart. And finally, after finding that, he goes back to her and he basically dies of whatever it is, exhaustion, infection, whatever it is that he has that he's contracted. He dies on the, you know, on the steps of the house. And, you know, she's holding him and it's a, it's a very, you know, it's a very sad scene, a very dramatic scene. And the boy appears and, uh, you know, she's kind of like asking for help if he even understands what he's asking for. So he, he disappears and comes back with a huge body bag. And it's like, what? So the boy <laughs> puts Mark Zuckerberg in the body bag and throws him back in the hole <laughs> as if this is just another body bag in that hole now. I, again, you just do not understand what's going on. And this is where the movie gets weird. Ha ha. Yeah. This is where the movie gets weird. Up to now, it has not been weird enough, but this is where the movie just goes off the deep end. Now we are in Alice in Wonderland territory. Fake Scarlett Johansson loses it. After the boy throws her husband into the hole, she starts going after the boy. They start fighting, and then it becomes like a, a chase. The, he runs into the towards the house, but... Instead of going in the house, he lifts the curb, the front curb, as if it were a blanket and slides under the street, in between the street and the sidewalk. And she's able to kind of pry that open before it closes and she she jumps in after him. You then get this weird chase scene where she seems to be dropping from different, how should I say, different versions of the house in different colors, and she meets different people. 
different occupants that are not the boy. They're kind of like her and her husband, just different people. And they seem to be all going through that same crazy experience that she was going through, where they're watching this kid grow up and they're suffering through it and losing their mind. At the end, she's kind of thrown out of that ever-changing house chase. And she's hurt on her way out, and she basically dies of her injuries, of being thrown around all these things so much. And I think she hits her head on something at one point. I could be wrong. But she basically dies, and she kind of tells him, you know, because he keeps calling her mother. And as she's dying, she says to him, you know, I'm not your mother. It's like her final uh, words of F you to this kid, whatever the hell he is. So he puts her in a bag just like he did with the father. Takes her in the hole, throws her in the hole, and fills the hole back up. We then go to the real estate office again, and the original real estate agent is there with his mouth kind of hanging out. He looks like he's dead. And the boy comes in. Again, he's an older boy now. He's still an old, he's still in his probably early 20s. And he removes the guy's name tag. It says, I think it says Martin. He removes his name tag from them, puts it on himself, opens a drawer, grabs another body bag, throws him in the body bag, and then proceeds to fold the body bag into like a suitcase size. And you can hear crunch, crunch, crunch. It's really weird. And folds it up, puts it in a drawer, and you can kind of hear the drawer like it's something is dropping. It's almost like a garbage chute. And he sits on the chair and he's getting ready. You know, he's going to be the next real estate agent waiting for his next clients. And the movie closes as another couple comes in to look at houses. Really weird movie. And I'll tell you, again, the, the best things about this movie is, number one, I think the best thing about the movie is the fact that, and I I rarely say this because I'm the type of person that wants to know more, but I think the fact that they don't tell you exactly what's going on is a plus here. You can kind of rack it around in your mind and try to figure it out, which is good. And, and there is enough hints out there to let you know that this is something possibly maybe aliens because there's a language... There are these bizarre, bizarre things going on. The the imitation of what gave him that book, what these creatures could be. It's a very, very lab experiment feel to it. It reminded me a little bit of the movie Cube, if you guys remember that movie, if you guys seen the movie Cube, about that weird prison that people find themselves in. It reminded me a little bit of that. You go from, as I mentioned before, you go from ridiculously funny, but weird funny, to horrific at the same time. It's not a very, if I remember, I don't think it's very graphic. I don't remember it being very bloody or anything like that. But it just, man, it's just, it's something else. And it is one of these movies where, like, in in my particular case, it's the type of thing that makes me want to say, all right. I got to find an interview with the director now and I got to find out an interview with the writer and I got to I got to, I want to know more but I'm glad they didn't tell me more. You know what I mean? It's one of these weird for the film, it's good because it leaves you completely confused and you're always you're kind of thinking about it for a while. And I guess that's one of the good things about some movies is when they it keeps you thinking. This movie goes far enough because you could kind of say, well, could it be supernatural? It could be, but it's more science. 
scientific, more science fictiony, I think, than supernatural. But it could be. You never know. They they could be hinting at multi universes and you know Lovecraft kind of weirdness. But no, I think based on the way that they're being studied and stuff like that, that it is very methodical and it's definitely a learning experience and experiment happening multiple times to see all the different outcomes of this experiment. I'm pretty certain that's what you're dealing with. I'm also thinking of the movie Dark City, where people are living in a world that is completely being manipulated, but they don't realize it. Yeah, that's a little bit of the Matrix too, if you will, if you think about it. But Dark City was also something like this, where you realize that this whole thing is being manufactured and controlled somewhere, and you have completely zero control over it. Uh, so those are two two or three other movies you might want to kind of look at into it. Once again, this is <laughs> this I I got brought into this movie by a Stephen King notation on Facebook. And uh yeah, this one is it's there. It's it's weird enough to want to find out more about it. Our second film is called Color Out of Space. And once again, this is one of these films where I hear about them and I put them on my Netflix list. I don't remember exactly what I heard about this film. All I know is that it was probably around the time where the film Mandy came out that I, I watched on, on Blu-ray. And this was this very, very super trippy Nicolas Cage film. Art slash sci-fi slash horror kind of film, <laughs> I think. that you know, I did a whole show about how crazy this film was. And... It's very possible that that's how I kind of associated these two films together. I could be wrong. I forget things. But this film finally came, arrived from, you know, on Netflix, a DVD arrived. And it it literally took me like a month <laughs> to actually put it on the machine. I kept forgetting about it and watching other stuff. But I finally said, all right, you know what? This this might be from the guys who made uh, uh, Mandy's. You know, let's let's see if they did another crazy, you know, bizarro film. And, oh my, this is something else. Let me just say, it stars Nicolas Cage. There's a couple of other actors that you might or might not know. Uh, Jolie Richardson, Madeline Arthur, Quinlan Kaiser. I know I'm butchering these names. And Tommy Chung. <laughs> There's a name you might know, Tommy Chung. So, I cannot be as detailed about the plot of this film as I was with the previous one, because it is such a crazy story that it's kind of like, like I said before, it's kind of like Mandy. You gotta just roll with it because it's, it's, it's tr very, very like out there kind of story. Nicholas Cage does his usual Nicholas Cage. You know, he goes nuttier and nuttier as you go along in this film. And, and it's, you know, it's his trademark, basically, of how nuts can he get in a movie. He is now basically Jack Torrance from The Shining. You know, he goes nuts from beginning to end. There's a transformation in whatever character he plays where he just completely loses his mind. But let me give you a very broad stroke of the plot of this film. There's a family that lives in the woods. Nicolas Cage, two kids, the boy and a girl... Uh, and his wife, and the wife is recovering from um, from some kind of surgery that she had, and she is like a business financier type of person who works, you know, from her computer basically. And he's kind of like a 
like a house husband takes care of that farm that he's living in. It's like a farm, like a big house and a lot of property. And he's, they have alpacas in the barn and they have gardens that they're tending to. So it's, it's a family that kind of retreated into the woods, more or less. The daughter, she is kind of, uh, I guess um, at some point that somebody asks her, is this Wiccan or is this this or is this that? So she has this very... A Wiccanish view of the world, and she practices, uh, you know, her her amateur beliefs of whatever it is that she believes. You know, you could say it's kind of like a teenagery type of thing. Fine, the son is much younger, just a typical kid, curious kid, nothing outlandish about him. So now another person that enters the story is a guy named Ward who is a, um, a a water specialist who's analyzing the water in that area, trying to see if there's any problems with the water. Because the, in the background, you do hear a story about, you know, some bad water and the town doesn't care and the town is trying to get this development deal or something like that. You know, one of those behind the scenes, I'm here to investigate, but the town doesn't want him to investigate type of thing. And you also have Tommy Chong, who is basically a weirdo. <laughs> Living out in the woods, you know, off the grid kind of guy fits his personality to a, you know, pretty much uh, exactly as, as, as to what you envisioned Tommy Chung would be, which I'm sure it's the opposite. But anyway, so what happens in this story is now keep in mind, this is apparently based on a HP Lovecraft story. I don't know if how much detail is exactly the same, you know, to make it contemporary. I don't know if major elements are obviously most likely been replaced, but with more modern elements. But in this story, this family, during the night, a meteor crashes into their backyard. And this meteor, who seems to be pulsating this light, this pink, purple color, that seems to start to affect everything. It affects the, the plants. It affects the water. It affects the animals. It affects the family eventually. How little by little, it starts to kind of drive everybody pretty nuts. And again, I cannot go into detail as to all of the events. And I'm not just saying this because I don't want to spoil the movie for you. Because we, do, we usually do spoil movies when we talk about them in this much detail. But it's just that... It would probably take me an hour to go into all the insanity that takes place in this family. But let's just say that little by little, we start to lose characters because of this weird light and these weird animals and these weird things that are happening in this farm where other people start arriving to try to investigate and they also start disappearing or getting killed or becoming something else. Some There's a scene in this movie where the mother... And the son, okay, let's think about this. The mother and the son, they are kind of absorbed by this light, by this meteor light, whatever this meteor is. And they are kind of fused together. And they are become one fused being. So Nicolas Cage and his daughter, they bring them inside the house. And they spend uh, quite a bit of time... <laughs> in the house, in the attic, fused together and kind of moaning and screaming and, and he's trying to feed them. And it's, it is just a, a, a nightmare of a scene uh, to the point where eventually they, they kind of become almost like a walking giant spider creature that tries to attack 
you know where I'm going with this. This is nuts. This is a nutty, nutty, nutty movie. When it's all said and done, almost everybody is gone because whatever the hell this is, which we still don't even know exactly, and this is why it reminded me of Mandy, by the end of the movie, we see that these extraterrestrial beams, if if that's what it is, they're basically trying to recreate their environment on Earth. And you get a scene where they show you what their, I guess, home planet looks like and how everything is pink and purple with funny-looking flowers and things and, and animals and creatures and all kinds of weird stuff. It's, 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 it's nuts. The thing about this movie is that you can go with it or you can let go of it at some point because the best thing that I enjoy about these kind of movies is when you're going along with it and you're going along with it and you're going along with it and you're noticing the weird stuff and the weird stuff and the weird stuff. But there comes a point in a lot of these movies where the weird stuff just, I don't want to say jumps the shark, but goes beyond anything you could imagine to the point where you just like have to give up and go with it because you can no longer maintain that level of suspense. Now you're just into the crazy territory and that's what happens with this movie at a certain point it just goes nuts and to me it was like all right this is an interesting follow-up you know to mandy and i'm like that's I'm, I'm i'm glad that they that they you know that they they were able to capitalize on mandy and continue with it so after the movie ends i'm going through the credits because i want to see the director's name i'm like because the you know the movie doesn't give you the the names at first they give you the names at the end so i'm like well wait a minute that's not the director. It said, instead of, uh, I remember the guy's name was Cosmatos, because it was the son of, of George Cosmatos, who died, who did, the, who did Mandy, Panos, Cosmatos. But anyway, the director's name is Richard Stanley. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know that name. The producers, uh, most of them are the same producers for Mandy. So I'm like, okay, I can see the Mandy influence here. As a matter of fact, one of them is Elijah Wood, the actor Elijah Wood, which is kind of weird how sometimes you get these act, these pretty famous actors who all of a sudden jump into the producer category. But I'm like, oh, so this is from the makers of, <laughs> from the makers of Mandy, but not necessarily the director of Mandy. But the new director, Richard Stanley, I'm like, I know that name. Well, guess what? As you guys probably know or remember or probably don't care, Richard Stanley was the director of Hardware. I did a whole show about how he was the director of the island of Dr. Moreau, and he was fired from that. And the insanity that ensued surrounding the making of that movie and his career, how it kind of went over the hill and into a pit of nothing he was basically ostracized after that movie tanked and there is a um documentary which again is what i covered in that geek fest rants that i did called lost soul the doom journey of richard stanley's island of dr moreau and yeah that's him him coming back i mean remember, you gotta keep in mind this took place in 1996 you're talking about like over 20 years later that he's making a movie, you know, an actual feature. I mean, he's worked since then in some smaller things, but the, the interesting thing is, is how I remember in the Lost Soul documentary, 
he talked about some of the ideas that he originally had for the island of Dr. Moreau, that he had to scale them back. And you kind of see a little bit of this, the insanity, the crazy creatures and the crazy, you know, formations of people and creatures and environments. All this kind of stuff is, is the kind of stuff you see now here in this film. And then, you know, I started watching all the uh, interviews afterwards, and there you go. It's him. He's, he's, he's just as nuts as he used to be. But it's really interesting, the fact that you do let the, the creative guy do his thing. And let's see where it goes. You don't just cut it halfway, you know, and then start from scratch like they did with the, the Island of Dr. Moreau. Now, granted, the Island of Dr. Moreau was a, at least ended up being a much more straighter, by the numbers kind of film. This is more in Mandy territory. This is more, I think, what this director is good for. I mean, again, if you remember, if you go back to his his breakthrough film, if you will, the the hardware. When I when I watched, I remember I saw that in college. Yeah, he's an artsy guy. He's not a, <laughs> a by the numbers kind of director. And in this movie, he's allowed to do exactly that. Now, I can't tell you. I'm a fan of his work in terms of, oh, I can't wait till he does another one of these. I definitely want to see more of his work. And I hope that he he is allowed back into some kind of way of continuing to make films. But I think it's it was very smart, I think, I, maybe for the producers, to be able to continue that sort of thing. They kind of realized they had something good with Mandy in terms of there being an audience for that sort of film. You threw, you know, you throw Nick Cage there, and there you go. This film apparently was in the works for a long time, and and Stanley um, co-wrote the film also, but he was trying to get this movie done for a while, you know, unsuccessfully. But I think again with the success of Mandy, and then when Nicolas Cage jumped into this production, that's when all the uh, that's when the money started flowing. Basically, when they when somebody actually greenlit this film. If you look at the poster, you'll get a pretty good idea of what you're heading into. Surprisingly, the main poster for this film doesn't have any references to Mandy in terms of from the producers of Mandy or something like that, because sometimes they do that. But you definitely know what direction this is going to. However, I do see out there a UK version. You know, I mentioned this many times before. UKs do the quad posters, which is the the picture on the side and the text on on the other side. Instead of the traditional letter, they go for the landscape, you know, kind of format. And in the the UK version, interestingly enough, it says from the producers of Mandy. <laughs> so there you go. See, they're smart. They're smart. They can they can add you add that a little bit, and it gives you a little more punch. Uh, Nicholas Cage, and then you have a couple of reviews underneath. But yeah, I'm surprised that the American poster didn't go for, you know, the the tie-in to Mandy, you know, for their generic poster. However, I am also seeing here a version of the British poster, let's say in the letter format, but it uses the art from the British poster as opposed to the, I guess, the American version of the poster. And it does have the, uh, from the producers of Mandy. Yeah, that's the type of thing that you, you need to lure people in, uh, especially with something like this, because this has become, I think, especially with Nicolas Cage, you know, a certain genre, I guess, of Nicolas Cage films that are probably considered to be at some point cult classics, or at least Nick Cage cult classics, where he goes completely, you know, bat crazy, <laughs> bat-s crazy. But 
Yes. If you like Mandy, let me put it this way. If you enjoyed Mandy, this would be a good companion piece to that. And if you enjoyed, you know, that whole story of, of Richard Stanley and, and the, the insanity of his uh, movie-making career and how it crashed and completely burned, this is a great comeback film for him. Because like I said before, it's not, it's not going to be, and it wasn't, any kind of a hit, but it kind of put his name back in play. He's back in play as far as I'm concerned because now you can show the world that look, I can make a film. I can it's it's a nutty film, but it's a film and there is a market for this sort of thing. So catch it if you can rent it. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. But you know, those are today's two unusual bizarre movies that are out there for you guys to watch. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We did a dual film review, two for the price of one, if you will. We had Vivarium and Color Out of Space, two really unusual films that they're the kind of films that, you know, as I've explained, they're, they're not blockbusters for sure, but they're also not the type of films that you see at the bottom of the list when you're, once you're, you know, scrolling through a streaming service and you get to like the 50th or the 75th film in a certain genre and you're like, why on earth are these films here? It's like the bottom of the, of the bargain bin of a DVD con <laughs> container at Walmart. No, these are films that, while not hits, are really really interesting and it's and they're the type of films that keep you kind of asking questions and in my particular case you know trying to find out more information about the making of the film or especially the writer or, or the meaning of the ending it's it's a there's a lot of that going on in some of these films and again when you have so much media out there and you know, you all of a sudden you find these actors who show up on these films and you're like, what? What? Did, I never even heard of this. What the hell is this? And why is so-and-so in it? Yes, a lot of times it, it could be sad, <laughs> the type of movies some of these actors make. But every now and then you kind of hit on something that's kind of good and interesting and worth recommending to your friends. So on behalf of everybody here... Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon here at Geek Fest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. light or actually i don't even know what color it was it wasn't like any color i'd ever seen before looks like a meteorite and it's radioactive i mean it's from space right meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks how can something that big just disappear did you plant those no ward you come here for a sec oh god what are you doing? Shh. It's talking to me. Who's talking to you? A man in the well. 
static, it's in the moisture. It's in here, it's out there. What's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That ding from the meteorite changes everything around it. like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2020. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. <laughs>